Well, the Apostle Paul was affected just as these are uh, by the risen Savior. Uh, it wasn't a religion anymore for him. It was a personal relationship uh, with the God who loved him so much he became man uh, suffering and dying in the flesh and then overcoming death, being risen from the dead. And, and now in Romans chapter 1, we're all the way in verse 9. My goodness, we are picking up steam. Uh, and Paul continues by saying, For God, whom I serve in my spirit. Uh, it's so significant. I, I, I wanted for us to stop right there for just a few moments. Uh, Paul was someone who served God uh, always as an adult before the time of his conversion. But he didn't serve God in his spirit. He served God in his flesh. And he was under compulsion. I must do what I'm doing uh, as a leader in Judaism. I must. I'm not volunteering, Miguel. I'm not doing it voluntarily, Paul would say. I have to do this in order to impress God. These who are going to India are not doing what they're doing to impress God. They're not working for his favor. They're going in light of the fact that they already have his favor. But Paul didn't understand this. When he was Rabbi Shaul, Saul, uh, he exerted himself in getting God's attention. And in trying to persuade God to, to judge him in light of all of these good things that he is doing. And so it wasn't a want to kind of a thing. It was a have to. I have, it was a duty uh, more than a joy. And so now upon his conversion, when he met the Lord Jesus and saw it wasn't his works that got him God's acceptance. It was the finished work of the Lord Jesus and his faith in it that caused him to be totally acceptable to Almighty God. When he realized that, he said, for God whom I serve and now in my spirit. No, it's not in my flesh anymore. It's not a me thing. I'm not trying to twist God's arm. No way. I would bust, I think Paul would say, if I didn't have the opportunity to say thank you to God by serving him. The literal Greek translation of this sort of gives the impression for God whom I'm serving with my whole heart. It was a heart thing now. This God whom I'm serving uh, uh, has saved me. And by way of thanksgiving, I'm so glad to serve him. By the way, do you see the word uh, serve there in verse 9? It can also, this is interesting. I hope you find it interesting. It was to me. It could also be translated worship. It, it, they seem like two totally different words. Serve and worship. In Greek, this was all written in Greek. Why? I don't know. We'll ask God someday. But it was written in Greek, so it pays to study it a little bit. There's one word in Greek for the two words in English, serve and worship. Why? Well, I really wrestled over this. I think it's so someone like Paul could say, oh God, when I serve you now, it's an act of worship. I don't serve you to win points. Good night. I'm wrapped up in the arms of the beloved and his righteousness is put on my side of the ledger. 
now. Oh, God, when I serve, it's an act of worship. And when I worship, it's an act of service. See how they're sort of interchangeable? You know, you can do, two people can do the same thing for entirely different motives. You, you could come to church because you're afraid of God. What it'll do to you if you don't. Or you can come to church because you love God because he first loved you. And you want to be in a crowd of people who sing his praises. You see totally different motives. Paul says, my motive in serving God, I always served him, but my motive is entirely different now. This God I now serve in my spirit. Specifically, he is serving God, the text says, in the preaching of the gospel of his son. Once he heard the gospel, good news it means, you know this. Once he was so affected by it, he could not contain it. And he was equipped by God in manifold ways to proclaim it. And he did so with passion. Paul is saying this specific, clear, and precise way in which I'm serving God with my whole heart is to preach the gospel of his son. And the word gospel, people in the day knew what he was talking about because it was a common term. You know, it wasn't a Bible term, gospel. People uh, walking the streets would use this term. It was in, in common usage in Greek culture. It just meant good news. You know how people, you know how we come upon one another, we say, hey, how's it going? What's up? You know this kind of deal? That's how they would do it. When the Greeks came upon one another on the street, they'd pass it. One would say to the other, hey, you have any good news for me today? That's what they would say. You have any good news for me? Most of the time they would say, nah, not much. If one of them came up to Paul, hey, Paulos, his Greek name, do you have any good news for me today? He would say, how much time do you have? He would say, good news, the best news imaginable. Here's a sample, he would say. Give me a minute of your time. Here's a sample. He would say, how would you like to be debt-free before God? What do you mean debt-free? He would say, oh, you see, you don't, you know. He said, you can't have good news. It ain't good news until you first know the bad news. The bad news is you owe. You owe God a debt you cannot pay. You have violated his laws. They would say, what do you mean? Have you ever lied? Well, sure. Then you're a liar. Have you ever taken that which is not yours? Oh, yeah. You're a thief. Have you ever looked on a woman you should not have? Yeah. Then you have coveted. You owe God. Can you pay? And the person would say, no, this is such bad news. And Paul would say, yeah, I know. And now you'll really appreciate the good news. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. What did he do? Here's good news. He washed it. Why does snow? And he would say, if you take him by faith as your savior, your debt will be forgiven. Not only that, you said you want good news. I got good news. Not only that, it's not just that God will dismiss his case against you. He'll take you home with him into his family. You'll be adopted. How'd you like to be called a son of God? How'd you like to be called a daughter of God? Have you had enough good news? 
And the person would say, I can hardly handle it. Oh, my. That's what he would say. Oh, God, I'm so thrilled to be able to serve you in my spirit specifically by telling people, oh, it isn't good news. It's the bestest news ever imaginable. That's what Paul, that's what he did. He said, for God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers. Folks, Paul prayed for this group of believers unceasingly. And he prayed for many other groups of believers as well. He prayed for the Ephesians, for instance. In, in the book of letter of Ephesians, it says, I don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And he also prayed for the believers at a place called Philippi. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you. And he prayed for the believers at a place called Colossae. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he prayed for believers at a place called Thessalonica. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. And I got to tell you something, I just don't get it. He was busy, don't you think? The great apostle, the great evangelist, missionary journeys, church planting, discipling, all the rest. How did he get time to pray for all these fellow believers? Folks, we have enough time to do what we want to do. That's how he got it. Everyone is allotted the same 24 hours each day. Nobody has more or less of that valuable commodity. There's not a person here who doesn't have enough time to do what he or she really wants to do. I take it Paul really wanted to pray for fellow believers and made the time. Everybody finds time to do what they want to do. Paul simply carved out the time to do what he wanted to do. So to me, that explains how he found the time to pray for all these. Uh, but there was another question. Why did he pray for all these? And I came up with this very, very profound answer. Tell me what you think about it. I think he prayed for all of these people uh, because all of these people needed to be prayed for. Isn't that deep? <clears throat> Folks, one of the best things we can do for one another is to pray for one another. Did you know that? That is a gift you cannot put a monetary value on. It far exceeds anything, any material value. And sometimes one of the best things we can do for people, <laughs> sometimes the only thing we can do for people we care for is pray for them. Why? Because sometimes people will not allow us to talk about God to them, but we could always talk to God about them. I have some relatives who tell me, you're invited over. It's glad to see you. Thanks for spending time with us. But let's just set things straight right at the outset. You must not mention his name in here. Whose names, says I. <laughs> I just want to make them sweat. They don't even say the name which is above all names. 
What do you think is a beautiful name? The Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we think it's a beautiful name. We would never use his name in vain or in any other way. We don't think mentioning his name in a household defiles it. We think mentioning his name in a household blesses the household. But it's how my relatives are. So, the, so I can't say certain things to some of my, uh, of my, uh, my relatives. But they can never keep me from praying. Sometimes I say to them, hey, I just want to tell you something. This may really irritate you, but there's not a thing you can do about it. I'm praying that God would mercifully open your eyes so that you can see. And I pause. You could see, I don't need to mention his name, do I? Because he's in your mind right now. As your savior. So prayer is a very important thing. Listen, folks, I think uh, many people were led to the Lord Jesus through Paul's preaching, but one day we'll find out maybe that there were many more led to the Lord Jesus through Paul's praying. Folks, uh, don't ever think that's the last resort. That's, that's the first resort. Uh, to tap into God's infinite resources on behalf of the people we care for. So specifically, Paul said, this is in verse 10 now, that in his prayers to God, he's making request, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. He really wanted to come to Rome. He really wanted to be with the Christians there. But he was determined only to get there by the will of God. You know, he acted as if his travel plans belonged to God. Isn't that earth-shattering? He acted as if his, not only his travel plan, he acted as if every aspect of his life belonged to God. And he's right. If we get this right, we won't be wrong. <laughs> it's a teaching of the book of Romans. You are not your own if you've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're possessed. Property. His stamp is upon you, possessed by the Most High God, with a kind and compassionate heart that will not let you go. He also has the character of being uh, uncompromisingly holy. He sees the end from the beginning. He's the all-wise one. He's limited by nothing. He can do all things. Space and time are simply vehicles in his hand. He's not limited by those particular things. He's never surprised by anything. He sees all things before they happen, you see. That's the God who has laid hold of you and with a price, blood, his, bought you. Paul got it and said, I so much want to go from A to B, but I will not do I'm the apostle. I'm the evangelist. I'm the PhD of my day. I'm Mr. Theologian. I'm not making a move. Until God confirms my steps. Wouldn't that be great? Boy, uh, many of the problems that plague us would not even be there <laughs> if we simply did things God's way. Do you agree? Yeah, I, 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 I think that's really true. So he said, I want to come, but I'm not coming except by, by the will of God. Now, why was he so desirous of coming to them in Rome? Well, the answer is given... In verse 11, he said, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. See, he, he wanted to be with them. Here's the answer. 
in order to give them something, not to get something. He, he, wasn't, he didn't want to exploit them. He's no religious charlatan. He did not want to extract money or anything like that. I long to be with you, not to get something from you, but to give something to you. Specifically, he said, I, I want to come to you so that I can impart to you some spiritual gift. Now, the Bible mentions a number of spiritual gifts in various places. Just marvelous things that, that God gives us. Now, we Christians have differences of opinion about gifts and so on. I don't think it's a big issue, to tell you the truth. The fact is that, that God gives us these marvelous gifts, and they're listed. Uh, you know, gift of healing, uh, uh, gift of tongues. Uh, we have different points of view on it, but it's mentioned in the Bible. Uh, gift of helps, gift of, say, gift of preaching, you know, stuff like that. I don't think Paul's speaking about any one of those gifts here. And I'll tell you why. He's smart enough to know <laughs> he, he's not the one who dispenses any spiritual gifts. They're all dispensed by the Holy Spirit. So when he says, I long to come to you to impart some spiritual gift, I think he's saying, God has given me stuff, things. He's designed me a certain way. He's equipped me in various ways. I want to make a contribution, a deposit in your life such that you're spiritually healthy. So what he would give would become a gift with spiritual ramifications. But it wasn't a specific spiritual gift. He's not coming to give them this gift or that gift. He's saying, God has resourced me. I want to use those resources, whatever it is. It could be intellectual resources. It could be knowledge. It could be a, a strong back. It could be money. Whatever. It could be time. It could be prayer. Insight into scripture. God has blessed me. I long to come to you so that I could with that which God has blessed me, bless you. I want to give you a spiritual gift, not a material thing, not subject to theft and inflation. No, that's a material gift. I want to give you a spiritual gift, something that will help you to stand strong spiritually. That's why I long to come to you. That's why I want to come. In fact, so it says there, I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Look, that you may be established. That's why he wanted to come. I've been blessed, says Paul. I want to come to share with you that with which God has blessed me so that you might grow, so that you might be established in the things of the Lord. With regard to your faith, I want it to mature. I want it to grow. Uh, you will agree, I'm sure, with me uh, that Paul was perhaps the greatest evangelist ever to have lived. So, so he led many to the Lord. As we've already seen, that was his passion. But he was smart enough to know that we shouldn't be content with mere professions of faith. Now, I never downgrade that because that's how it starts. You pray to ask Jesus into your life. So I'd never want to cast dispersions on that. But Paul knew that wasn't quite enough, a profession of faith. He wanted to see those who professed Christ at one point to be established in Christ on an ongoing basis for the rest of their lives. And so, um, Miguel, this is really something... Because I have here right in my notes, I can prove it to you, brother, I'm not lying. The, the very thing you said, uh, pray that God would use us to make disciples. That's part of our mission. You said in India, we're going to make disciples who make dis disciples. 
We're going to help people be disciple makers. And you said, not converts, disciples. And you said, and this is what got us, you said it says it in the Bible. And boy, that just shut us up right there. No argument. Miguel, I have it right here. So what he was referring to, that's, we call it the Great Commission. Matthew 28, go to India. Go, therefore, and make converts of all nations. Is that what it says? Make disciples. But, but it starts by being converted. We understand this. From darkness to light. That's why I would never, my heavens, someone pray. Steve led someone to the Lord today in the workplace. Steve, we, 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 we don't want to go thumbs down on that. Now, we want that guy. We want him to be established in the faith and to grow. And Steve's already working on it for sure. But boy, it started by you saying, pray after me. That was a wonderful thing. You see what I mean? But we don't want to stop where it starts. We want, we want a person to go on and be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, the greatest evangelist said, now that you've been evangelized, I want to come and disciple you. I want to come and do whatever I could so that you could be established in the faith. That's, that's, what, he's, that's what he's saying. And I think, Paul knew if he got to them, he would help them to be established by giving them the contents of Romans. <laughs> you see, because I think Paul knew, oh, if they only got this right, then they won't be wrong. So I think he was saying, I can't wait to go there so that, you know, all this that I wrote to you, I could preach to you, I could speak to you, I could counsel you, I could tell you about all these marvelous truths contained in the book of Romans. So Paul says, I long to come to you so that I can impart something of spiritual value so as to help you grow spiritually. And then he says something in verse 12. I think it blew him away. Verse 12. I think it just surprised them. That I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Whoa. Folks, I don't think you can understand, nor can I, uh, the credentials of this guy. This is, he was hot. This, he was known by the unbelieving community they wanted to kill him, by believers. Ooh, this is a special emissary of God. Are you kidding? He had a Damascus Road experience. I never had that. I don't think many here. Are you kidding me? He had a very dramatic encounter with Almighty God. Are you this guy was a leader in the church. He was an apostle, uh, perhaps above all apostles for crying out loud. And he says, I want to come to you to give you a spiritual gift, but that's not all. I want to come to you, not only to establish you, but to give you a chance to encourage me. <gasps> and the new believer, the one who was just baptized, <laughs> is saying, Paul, what, what do I have? To, to, to be of value to you. What could I, I'm a new believer, what could I offer to you? And Paul would say, don't say that. I need to be encouraged by your faith as you need to be encouraged by mine. It was mutuality of blessing that defied a ranking system. No, he said, we're all in this together. I gotta come there because it's rough doing what I'm doing. I have to come in from the cold. I have to go to church. I have to go to the church in Rome. You don't know me. I don't know you. 
There's a bunch of stuff we probably don't like about one another. It's irrelevant. We're in the fold. We're in the faith. We say, our father, we have the same daddy, which means we're in the same family. You need me, but I need you. And therefore, I long to come to you. Oh, my goodness. What an... Paul had to humble himself. You know what he had to say? I have needs. You do. So do I. I have a need to be encouraged to go on. Will you provide that for me when I come to you? So his determination to give a blessing, as mentioned in verse 11, and his determination to receive a blessing, as mentioned in verse 12, both required that he get out of himself. To give requires that he get out of himself. To receive requires that he gets out of himself. One of the most dangerous things for us as Christians is to get to the point where you think you have no need for the ministry of encouragement of others. Not all the degrees, not all the credentials, not all the accolades of the world make us immune from discouragement. And God intends for those with all these credentials to minister so as to establish, but also to receive encouragement from those whom they serve. Mutuality of blessing. Gathering together in the local church is about mutual blessing. So there are two things, if you're a Christian, you can no longer say when you come upon other Christians. Two things. You can no longer say, first, you do not need me. You can no longer say that. And you can no longer say, I do not need you. That's over. <laughs> you may have spent the better part of your life feeling worthless and of no value. That's done. That's done. You're a Christian now. You've been saved out of the world into a family, into a body. You can look the members of the family of Christ in the eye and you must never say when you do, you do not need me. And you must never say, I do not need you. No, we do. Mutuality of blessing. So I've just learned something about the local church as I've been studying this text. And if we get this right, then we won't be wrong about the church. And I think a lot of us, myself included for sure, are wrong about the church. So let's get this right. The church does not exist uh, to cater to my own uh, preferences and gratification. Let's just get this right. In other words, let's just stop being American Christians for two seconds. Let's start being Bible Christians. The church does not exist to cater to my likes and my preferences. It doesn't mean the church should be insensitive to them. Doesn't mean I shouldn't voice them. Doesn't mean I shouldn't make recommendations. But to dig in and demand and sort of say, I'll take my membership and go elsewhere if you don't accede to my preferences and you don't gratify me, <laughs> is to miss the point of the church. Paul's longing was to get to church to give something away. And we have become consumers of everything, including church time, where we come to church to get. 
And if we don't get the parking spot I want, we don't get the music I want, we don't get the temperature I want, we don't get the greeting I want, there's other churches. I'm like this. I'm preaching to nobody more than me. If my feelings are hurt, what do you mean if? When? We are going to, are you kidding? People, we hurt each other. Now we should not do it deliberately, man. Or even worse than that. We don't even know when we hurt each other. Sometimes we're so insensitive. It's just the way it is. I'm leaving that church because my feelings got hurt. Where are you going to go? That's what I want to know. Take me with you. I mean, but this is not, this is not, I long to come, if it be by the will of God, that I may impart, give some spiritual blessing. And ours is a consumer mentality. This is really, if we get this right, we won't be wrong. If we looked at the church this way, it would change the way we look at the church. (laughs) The church is not there to give me everything I want when I want it. It's not there. The church is not there really to be a resource primarily for me. I come to church to be a resource to others. Now, isn't that radical? That's you. You're ordained and all that kind of... No, don't you see? Nobody can say, you don't need me. You Listen, uh, those of you who... I, I hope I'm not embarrassing you, but those of you who are baptized, uh, these three wonderful ladies, do you know what a spiritual gift you gave the rest of us tonight? Do you know... You did, little cutie. You, you, you gave us a gift. You reminded us, Lord Jesus, you're alive and well, and you're still entering the hearts and lives of people today. Though you were here 2,000 years ago, we've not seen you face to face. Oh, In a way we have. We see your work in the lives of these three. And those three and we are going to see you face to face one day. Oh my goodness. You blessed us tonight. Don't you see? You gave us spiritual blessing. This is the purpose of church. We got a lot of unlearning to do because we're spoiled Americans. We're spoiled. If I don't get my way, I'm going to look for a better deal. So Paul said, no, I want to come to church to look for ways to impart some spiritual resources so that the members, you say, well, I don't know Greek and Hebrew. Do you know what? Our pastor talks about this all the time. It's rather profound. A word. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to give a word, a look, and a touch. And sometimes that goes further than some smart guy's knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. Sometimes someone just needs a touch. Just a touch. Just a good to see you today. Just a warm greeting. Sometimes, you don't know that and I don't know that. But God could 
You, and Paul said, I just want to be around y'all so that I could be useful to God. I, I, he's given me stuff. I got a mouth. I got a hand. I can give a hug. I, I have a smile. I can put a smile on my... It's not always deep, profound. I'll explain to you the book of Leviticus in 25 words or less. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes it's just down to earth, word, looking, touch that we needy people so desperately need. And Paul said, that's why I'm going to church. Oh God, let me give away something you gave me. And if you gave me that opportunity today, oh man, I've been to church. That was church. And Paul said, I'm over this stuff. I didn't hear my favorite song. I didn't, boom, 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 boom. I'm not going back. Oh no, no, that's not, that's not. Can I tell you something? We can only do what Paul did, exchange mutual blessing with one another if we're with one another. That's, again, not a very profound statement. So if your church has now become cyber church, that may be good for you, but you're robbing me. I'm not with you when you're watching us on the computer. I don't get a word looking to touch from you. I don't even know you exist. Now, don't get me wrong. That is a wonderful device when you can't come to church. It's wonderful. I love the tech. No, don't misunderstand. Uh, we have members, they travel and they say, oh, I got to watch the Sunday service. I was in Zanzibar, wherever that is. That's a wonderful thing. But I'm afraid some of us are saying, good, well, I don't have to go. I sit here in my pajamas and, you know, and watch all that stuff, and then if I don't really like what's on the menu, I can just turn it off. Well, that could be all right, but that just smacks of narcissism to me. I didn't get a thing out of you watching us in front of the computer. Not a thing. You didn't meet my need one lick. Don't do that. Some people are saying, why go to church? You know, we could just sit in front of a screen. What? Paul says, I yearn to come that I might impart some, I don't know what, some spiritual blessing that may be a benefit to you. Folks, we're not, we're not that technological. You can't get to us through the screen. It doesn't happen that way yet. Even though you get some people on TV, they say, you know, put your hands on the TV. I'll, you know, all that does is leave fingerprints on the, that doesn't do a thing. You're not getting anywhere. You're, come to church. Come to church. Come to church and say, oh God, who needs me there now? Who needs my touch? Who needs my presence? Somebody does. Oh God, give me that opportunity. And when you do, I'll know, oh, that was a good church day. I can't wait till next Sunday. That kind of thing. So Paul didn't, Paul didn't look to the church as a place to get it's a place to give and if we get this right about the church we we won't be wrong about it we won't be as prone to leave it when Paul looked at the church he he had a great desire to see the brothers and sisters there built up and he wanted he wanted to have a role there's a man named uh, Tom Rayner some of you know of him he's a wonderful just wonderful person He's the president of Lifeway Christian Resources, and he's a brilliant statistician and researcher on churches and their health and their growth. And 
and uh, just just a wonderful asset, in my opinion, to the body of Christ. And uh, he wrote a recent article entitled "The Main Reason People Leave a Church." So let me read to you a little bit about what he said. He said, "All the studies of which I am aware, including my own." return to one major theme to explain the exodus of church members, a sense of some need not being filled. In other words, these members have ideas of what a local congregation should provide for them, and they leave because those provisions have not been met. Certainly, we recognize there are many legitimate claims by church members of unfulfilled expectations. It can undoubtedly be the fault of the local congregation and its leaders. But many times, probably more than we would like to believe, a church member leaves a local body because he or she has a sense of entitlement. I would therefore suggest that the main reason people leave a church is because they have an entitlement mentality rather than a servant mentality. I read it. Ugh. And I wanted to pull the knife out. How about you? Entitlement mentality rather than servant mentality. But that wasn't Paul's perspective. He saw the church as a place where Christians gathered together to impart mutual encouragement and helps, incentives for the faith so that we would grow together. Tom Rayner shares some quotes, direct quotes from exit interviews done by various churches of folks who were members and left. In the exit interviews, churches wanted to figure out why are people leaving, and so here are some of the uh, here are some of the th- explanations, some of the reasons people gave for why they're leaving. Uh, here's one: the worship leader refused to listen to me about the songs and music I wanted. Here's another one: no one from my church visited me. Uh, I, I I I was not about to support the building program they wanted. I was out two weeks and no one called me. They moved the times of the worship services and it messed up my schedule. I told my pastor to go visit my cousin and he never did. It is not that these are valid concerns and needs. Don't misunderstand. And they ought to be brought to the attention of church leadership for sure. But folks... To leave a church because of these things shows me they're wrong about Romans. And therefore, they ain't right about the church. You don't leave the local body God called you to because of these things any more than you separate from your biological family because of these things. Our ties are even deeper than blood ties. Biological The blood of Jesus has cleansed us all, united us together. We need each other. Paul longed to come to church to give something of spiritual value and also to receive encouragement from its members. And Tom Rayner said, he quote, this is a quote, he said, we have turned church membership into country club membership. You pay your dues and you're entitled to certain benefits. No, no, no. Oh, we gladly give our offering to God. It's not a have to. We want to. Oh, God, here's a small portion 
of what you have given to me. Everything I have is a gift from you. Thank you for letting me say thank you by giving something in return. It's not for you, it's for me. How else do I say thank you? How else do I show my trust in you except to give away what I otherwise would withhold because I gotta take care of myself? No, I do not. You are my God and Savior. You bought me with a you bought me with a prize. I go to church to give, and I'm not always going to get a warm greeting and the music I want to hear, and people who ought to be better towards me are not always going to be that way. Do you know everyone has moods? Did you know that? It's just the way it is. Do you know everyone is subject to life's circumstances, its hardships, and all the rest? Do you know everyone, sometimes we, we speak too quickly and we're sorry for it later, and sometimes we don't say we're sorry. But these are just human. Do you know everyone's under stress by certain things, and sometimes it just comes out? And You know, these things, that's just the way it... Well, you didn't call on me, you called on someone else. You know what happens when you're not chosen for something you want and someone else is? You get your feelings hurt because you have feelings. Isn't that good? You're alive. Your hurt feelings are evidence of the fact that you are alive. It may not be right that your feelings got hurt, but it's not right that your hurt feelings lead you away from church. You know a better place to go? Oh God, head of the church, my feelings have been hurt. Would you heal me? You may need to smack that person around who hurt my feelings. <laughs> and if you choose to do it, that's okay. <laughs> but the main thing is, oh God, I've got to get over this. You have got to, oh God, you've got to remind me what you went through to be in covenant bond with one such as I. Oh God, the mistreatment, the disrespect, the unfairness. I heaped upon you. Oh, God, you've got to help me to do this right. You know, we go, oh, God, I'm tempted to say, I don't need those people. There are 10 churches within walking distance. Yeah, and everyone has someone in there who's going to hurt my feelings. You got to dig in and commit. Ooh, that's a dirty word. You got to commit for better or for worse, in good times and in bad. Sick. We ought to apply those to the church. Ups and downs and all the rest. We ought, we ought, to, we ought to show the world a, a level of commitment to a local body that exceeds that which, which they possess. So I'm going to ask you something. When Paul thought of the church, he thought of opportunities to give, not to get. Uh, so I, I want to ask you something in the, this last minute or two. Um, would you look at this declaration uh, about Christians gathered together, which which we, we have up in, in front of you right now. It says, I can no longer say you do not need me and I can no longer say I do not need you. If you are willing to make a commitment to this, if this is your church, if you're willing to make a commitment to this local church, only if you're willing. I, don't, I think words are very important. You should, not, you should not utter these unless you really mean it. Um, I examined my heart uh, uh, before I, I stand before you. I'm ready to uh, utter a public declaration here. Uh, 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 and, and, and what I want to say, I, I want to look to the body of Christ gathered here, and I want to say to each of you, um, uh, 
I can no longer say to you, you do not need me. Even at my weakest state, when I'm most down, depressed, and feeling low, I, I, I cannot not say to you, you do not need me. Because I just found out by reading the book of Romans, you do. <laughs> and I can no longer say uh, 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 to you that, uh, that I do not need you, you see. It's a mutuality of, of blessing here. So, so if you're willing to make that statement, this is the local body. You've got to affiliate somewhere. It, it, nothing's perfect around here. You're kidding me? But, but, but we're as good a church as you're going to find. It, meaning there, there are as many imperfect people here as you're going to find anybody, anywhere else. And uh, I, I, can, I can show you commendable qualities about this church, but, but that's not my point. My point is you already know them or you wouldn't have been a member. Uh, I, I just want to ask you, uh, can you and I elongate our commitment just a little bit and not keep surprising by one, one another? By It's almost like a threat. If I don't get my way, I'll leave. Well, come on. It's not, it's not, are, there, are there good reasons to leave a church? That's exactly right. Most don't find them. They just leave because they got hurt feelings. Church gets in heresy, sure, leave. Absolutely, whatever. Stuff like that. We're not close to it. Don't worry. We got plenty of accountability around here. We're not even close to it. So, so I want to ask you, if you're ready to make this public recommitment to membership, committed family membership for mutuality of blessing, then, then I want to lead you in this. So I, I, I'd like you to say uh, after me these words. I can no longer say. Now look around and go. You do not need me. And, and then say this, and I can no longer say, now look around, I do not need, yeah, there you have it, Lord Jesus. It was kind of simple, and I confused it a little bit, uh, for sure, but, uh, but, 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 but what you're about is not confusing at all. You're the head of the church, and you want your people gathering together in local assemblies, of which this is one. It's really a good one. And in this place, the ministers are here to help believers to be established. And the ministers from the top down also need to be here to receive encouragement. Mutuality of blessing, establishing each other in the faith, encouraging each other in the faith, You've made us to be dependent on one another. Perish the thought that we would strike out with an independent spirit, thinking, you do not need me, I do not need you. Both are lives, lies of the evil one. Lord Jesus, help us to be right about the church, and then we won't be wrong. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.